Hi, y'all. This is Carrie D from Coffee with Carrie. Welcome to season two of Coffee with Carrie podcast. It's such a privilege to do this adventure we call homeschooling with you. Thank you for tuning in again and walking this homeschooling journey with us. If you're new to us, you can find us on Instagram at Coffee with Carrie Consultant or at our website, coffeewithcarrie.org. So stick around, pour yourself a cup of coffee, put your feet up, and take a little coffee break with me. I think you'll be encouraged. In this week's Coffee with Carrie podcast, I wanted to share with you one of the sessions we had at our special weekend for homeschooling moms. Many of the moms who were in attendance last week asked me to record the session and to share it in a Coffee with Carrie podcast. So here it is. On our Saturday mornings, our special weekend for homeschooling moms always starts with worship and teaching from God's word. This year, we dug real deep into Hannah's story in 1 Samuel chapters 1 and 2. It's my prayer that those who were not able to join us last weekend can listen to this podcast and be encouraged by the story of Hannah. And it's also my prayer that the moms who did join us this past weekend and who heard this teaching in person will be able to review some of the things we said and be able to apply them to their lives, their homes, and their homeschooling. So, why did I pick Hannah to focus on this year for our Saturday morning Bible study session? Well, (laughs) after the year we have all had, I figured we could use a little extra hope. I know I was hoping and praying that this year's conference wouldn't be canceled like last year's. I know many of you, like me, are hoping and praying that the Rona will finally become a thing of the past. I know we're all praying and hoping that these crazy COVID restrictions will finally be lifted and will not become our new normal. And that's just our hopes concerning COVID. Then there are the circumstances in our lives that are not even COVID related or issues in our lives that have been exasperated due to COVID and the lockdowns. You know, I loved having my adult daughter home again, living with us, and I secretly enjoyed the fact that my son's daily afternoon classes were all canceled. I loved having everyone home again safely under one roof, playing games together and eating family meals together and going on adventures when we could, but I know it's taken a toll on them. My daughter had to put off graduate school plans and put on hold moving out into her own apartment, you know, since her job went to part-time. And you gotta have money to live on your own, go to grad school, and stay out of debt, right? (laughs) I know she felt a bit isolated from most of her friends who didn't live close by or who had underlying health issues that also kept them from meeting in person on a regular basis. And my son, who's a senior now, lost his junior baseball season, most of his summer travel ball time, and his senior varsity year is in danger of being canceled too. And all of his community college classes were online, which really isn't the best learning environment for him. He's an extrovert, so the lack of hangout time with his buddies has been extremely rough on him too. And like you, We missed out on tons of family celebrations, birthday parties, Thanksgiving and Christmas gatherings, and other special events with our family and friends. And like me, you've lost family members and close friends this year due to illness and sickness. And don't even get me started on the crazy political season we had to endure while stuck at home in quarantine. Many of our liberties have been taken away or quote-unquote suspended due to the Rona and the lockdowns. And many of our churches are afraid to meet in person 
well, at least here in California, due to fines and irrational fears. And due to social distancing guidelines, many of us miss the personal contact that comes from giving and receiving those much-needed hugs. And because of mask mandates, we miss seeing the smiles on our loved one faces, or even the smiles of a stranger in a store. And we're tired of being looked at with disdain when we sneeze in a public place or we cough while we're standing in line. There's just so much fear about the known and the unknown that I thought we could use a little encouragement from God's word and focus on a mom who, in spite of disappointment and mocking and hopelessness, she clung to her God and to her hope in him. You know, Paul reminds us in 2 Timothy 1.7 that God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. And after this year, <laughs> we may feel like we're all losing our minds, that we're going a bit crazy, and yes, feeling a bit fearful. But these feelings are not from God. They come from the pit of hell. <laughs> when we put our hope in Jesus, we're given a miraculous power, one of might and of strength that can only come from the Holy Spirit. You know, we can learn a lot from Hannah and from the first two books of Samuel. We can learn from Hannah how to have hope in a hopeless world. And we can learn from Hannah how to hold on to hope when circumstances seem hopeless. In biblical terms, hope is an indication of certainty. The world uses the word hope as another way to say, I dream or I wish. But the expression hope in scripture means a strong and confident expectation. So when we say, Lord, you are my hiding place and my shield, I hope in your word. We aren't saying I hope your word and promises are true, but that we know beyond a shadow of a doubt God's words are true. We're saying we have confidence that they will come to pass and that God will fulfill his promises. We aren't wishing we have eternal life when God says, For I know the plans I think towards you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. We know for a fact our salvation is secure. We have a blessed hope and a blessed assurance. Biblical hope can also mean we have a sense of trust. Our hope is in the Lord, and the joy of the Lord is our strength and salvation. Blessed is the man whose hope is in the Lord. We can trust not only what God says and promises, but we can trust the Lord with our lives, both here on earth and eternally. We have complete trust that the Lord will never betray us, never leave us, or never hurt us. We can trust that He truly wants the best for us, and even when everyone else has disappointed us, or our job, marriage, our government, whatever that thing or person is that we have put our trust in fails us, we know that God will never fail us. And this is the kind of hope that Hannah had. She knew she could trust the Lord with her life and with the life of her son Samuel. She knew even in the darkest moments of despair that her hope was in the Lord, not in her circumstances. So, what are some truths we can learn from Hannah in 1 Samuel chapters 1 and 2 that we can apply to our lives today, our ministry of motherhood, and our mission of homeschooling? Well, one, God will not be mocked. Two, in God's timing, He will bless the faithful and will judge the wicked. Three, we know the Lord hears our cries and answers them. 
And finally, we can learn that even surrounded by ungodly behavior in a godless world, our children like Samuel can still grow in stature, serve the Lord, and find favor in his sight. In Hannah's story, we will look at how we can have hope in the midst of taunts. That's 1 Samuel chapter 1, verses 1 through 8. How we can have hope in God's promises, 1 Samuel chapter 1, 9 through 28. How we can have hope in God's word and his character, 1 Samuel chapter 2, 1 through 10. And how we can hope have hope while living in a lost world, 1 Samuel 2, verses 11 to 26. Let's open up our Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 1, verses 1 through 8. Now, let me set the stage here. We are told in verses 1 through 8 that Hannah was married to Elkanah, who was from the land of Ephraim, and he was also a Levite, which means he was in the line of priest. We also find out that she wasn't the only wife of Elkanah. He had another wife who had given him many sons and daughters. But verse 5 tells us that Elkanah loved Hannah more. It also tells us in verses 1 through 4 that Elkanah was a faithful Levite and Jew. He, his family, and his two wives, including Hannah, visited Jerusalem every year to worship and to make sacrifices as commanded in God's law. We also find out that Hannah's womb was closed and she didn't have any children. And later in this passage, we see just how distraught this made Hannah feel. How many of us right now find ourselves in similar situations with the Lord, with the people we love, and with the people in our lives that try to hurt us? Here is Hannah faithfully obeying God's commands. She faithfully worships the Lord, makes sacrifices, and honors her husband. Yet she still finds the desires of her heart not fulfilled. The things she wants more in life are out of reach, or they're just not attainable. She prays, she obeys, she sacrifices, she honors, she worships, yet she still finds herself in God's will, but also in a place of unfulfilled dreams and passions. Even though she gives much to her husband and sacrifices much for her husband, she still finds she's vying for his undivided attention. Maybe for you, you're wanting another child, or you find your husband's attention is divided between you and something else. Maybe you're hoping and praying for a financial problem to be solved or a health issue that's been plaguing you or a loved one to finally be resolved, or a discipline issue with a child or an adult child to be fixed. Maybe you're like me and you find yourself in a place where a desire of your heart that you have had for many, many, many years has just not been fulfilled yet. And these could be dreams and desires like moving to a new home or another state or finishing a degree or working from home, or it could be something more spiritual or emotional in nature. Perhaps you long for a loved one to finally accept the Lord and be saved or you desperately want a child's physical, mental, or spiritual challenges to be removed. Prayer, worship, obedience, it's all worth it. But our human nature sometimes asks, why God? Or what else can I do in order for our situation to improve? But we will see in just a few verses that Hannah still prays God, even when her prayers were not answered. We will see that Hannah went to God with her pain, her disappointment, and her fears. It's important for us to remember, especially in this COVID-crazy world right now, we need to praise God in the good and in the bad, and praise God for the good and for the bad. 
And you know this is true. It usually isn't until we are on the other side of something that we can finally see God's hand in a situation, a situation we felt was hopeless at the time. Then when we look back and we realize how God was working the entire time for our good and for the good of those we were praying for. Like Hannah, it is a good spiritual habit to turn our complaints into praise. And like Hannah, it is a good spiritual habit to pour out our hearts to God, even if each and every time it seems like nothing is happening or nothing is changing. God's Word promises us if we draw near to God, even in the bad, and especially during the bad, that He will draw near to us. We also learn in verses 7 through 8 that Hannah had to deal with constant taunting and teasing from Elkanah's second wife. She provoked Hannah so much that it caused her great grief, even to the point of desperation. Hannah would weep and not eat for days. I don't know about you, but I have felt this kind of taunting this past COVID year. I've been provoked to the point of great grief and depression by strangers, by enemies, and even by my loved ones. I've cried myself to sleep on so many occasions this past year due to the unkind words of those who have not agreed with my faith in Jesus, my convictions, and my political viewpoints. I've been mocked for homeschooling the entire time, almost 20 years of it, some passive-aggressive taunts and some downright, in-your-face, hurtful, unkind, and untrue words. People have even put down my kids because they were homeschooled. And I'm sure many of you can relate. Some of you have even been threatened by family members, neighbors, and authorities because you educate your children at home. I've been called many names this past year because I want to worship in person at my church. I've been yelled at that, you know, I don't care about the vulnerable. I'm selfish and I don't put the needs of others before my own. Because I want to worship with my church family or because I want to celebrate milestones with my family and friends, I've been called names and accused of every hurtful thing you can think of. And because I'm pro-life to the core (laughs) and will not vote for any party or candidate that endorses any kind of pro-abortion laws or ideology, I'm called a hater. Oh yeah, friends, I'm going there too. Because I vote with God's word in my hand, and I vote against issues that completely contradict God's word or his commands. I've been accused of not being a Christian or that I'm part of the problem. Dare I say, I've even been told the past few weeks, I need to be deprogrammed because I believe standing up for the unborn and for the right to life of any human, born, unborn, old, young, disabled, or healthy. How many of you have put up with unkind remarks and jeers and mocking because you homeschool. I'm sure I'm not the only one who's been called crazy, even selfish, for not allowing my kids to have a quote-unquote normal life. I'm sure I'm not the only one who's been told I'm ruining my kids' lives by homeschooling them and by not allowing them to go to school five days a week, seven hours a day. And I doubt I'm not the only one who's been bombarded at family gatherings or social events with reasons why I should not homeschool my kids and have been given a laundry list of why homeschooling is harmful. I've been called an overprotective fundamentalist control freak. Friends, this is why weekends like this are so important. We need to find our peeps 
We need to find women and sisters in Christ who share our values, who share our beliefs, and who understand what it feels like to be mocked and harassed because of our decisions to homeschool and because we have chosen to live a life in accordance to God's word. The world hates God's word. They hate the gospel of Jesus Christ, and they hate absolute truth. Now, remember what Jesus said. He said, they do not hate us. (laughs) They hate the one we love and follow. They hate everything about Jesus and all that he stands for. So by association, the world will hate us and all we do. When they mock us and they, they mock our faith, our convictions, our voting record, our homeschooling decisions, they're not mocking us. They're mocking the Lord. But you know that God will not be mocked. His word says he will not be mocked. Paul reminds us in Galatians 6, 7, do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked for a man reaps what he sows. And Peter reminds us in 2 Peter 3, 3, knowing this first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. Friends, we live in a world of scoffers, but we learn from Hannah that we can have hope in the midst of taunts, that we can and should stand strong among the mocking. In the last days, there will be great deception and a great falling away. Those that mock the Lord and our actions that are based on God's word, they are the ones who are deceived, or they are the ones who have chosen not to accept the Lord or his word as truth. Like Hannah, we can have hope and complete trust that while in the midst of teasing, taunts, jeers, and mocking, we can have hope and full assurance that God has our back, that God's word is true, and that God will get the last word. Like Hannah, as hard as it is, we need to not argue or try to get the last word in with our taunters or try to win the argument. Instead, We need to bring our hurts and concerns to the Lord in earnest prayer. And this brings us to the second section in 1 Samuel chapter 1, 9 through 28. We can have hope in God's promises. We read in this section Hannah's heartfelt prayer. Like Hannah, we need to have hope in God's promises because God is a promise keeper. Promises made, promises kept. We see this loud and clear in this passage. In this passage, we see that Hannah is crying out to the Lord with such grief and with such emotion that Eli, the high priest, thinks she's drunk. Her mouth is moving, but no words are coming out. In verses 15 through 16, it describes Hannah as a woman who is deeply troubled. She's not a woman who's been drinking wine or beer. She was pouring out her soul to the Lord. She had been praying out of great anguish and grief. I think it's safe to say that everyone in this room has experienced this kind of prayer. There was a season in my life a few years ago where I was dealing with something I had absolutely no experience with. It totally blindsided me, and I literally had nowhere to turn but to God. I had no idea how to pray or even what to pray. I just knew the only person who understood and who could help me get through it was God. I relied on Romans 8.26 then and many times since when in prayer. The Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. 
the Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings that cannot be expressed in words. God knows what we need before we ask. God understands our brokenness, and the Holy Spirit groans and intercedes on our behalf. How many of you are praying these kinds of prayers right now, or this month, or this year? You feel so lost and so helpless, you don't even know what to pray. You don't even know if the situation can be fixed. You know that some of the circumstances are completely out of your control. And if the Rona and this crazy COVID year has taught us anything, it is that there are things in this life and evil in this world that are simply out of our control. And no matter what we do or say, or not do or say, that the enemy will have his way, for he is the prince of this world. But we know the power of prayer. We know our Lord is in ultimate control, he's the ultimate king, and he will get the ultimate victory. We know that he who is in us is greater than he who's in the world. We may not know what to pray or how to pray like Hannah, but we know our Lord is worthy of our honor and praise and worship, and he hears our cries when we call out to him. We can have hope and know beyond a shadow of a doubt that the Lord hears our cries and he will answer them. The book of Psalms reminds us over and over again that the Lord hears our pleas and our cries, and he longs to comfort us and protect us. We need to pray like David did. Lord, give me understanding according to your word. O oh Lord, listen to my cry. Give me the discerning mind you promised. A prayer of an afflicted person who has grown weak and pours out a lamnet before the Lord. Hear my prayer, Lord. Let my cry for help come to you. Whatever your pleas are, whatever your cries are, don't give up. God in his mercy will help you with a broken relationship. God in his grace will give you a solution to a pressing homeschool problem. God in his kindness will help you and protect you while you weather yet another financial storm. God in his love will help you or your child as you battle that challenge that has plagued you for months or even years. Whatever your pleas are, whatever your cries are, don't give up. Like Hannah, keep giving them to the Lord. He hears, he comforts, and he answers. And this brings us to our third division in 1 Samuel chapter 2, verses 1-10, through 10, having hope in God's word and his character. We can give our heartfelt prayers, dreams, and desires to the Lord, because like Hannah, we can have hope in God's word and in his character. Like Hannah's prayer, our prayers need to be filled with praise and worship too. Hannah's prayer is a lot like Mary's prayer in Luke. It praises God for who he is, what he's done, and what he will do in the future. It worships God for fulfilling his promises, for his mercy, and for his holy righteousness. Listen to the words in verses 1 through 10. My heart rejoices in the Lord. The Lord has made me strong. Now I have an answer for my enemies. I rejoice because you rescued me. No one is like the Lord. There is no one besides you. There is no rock like our God. Friends, we, when we have faith like this, we truly can survive whatever is surrounding us right now. Then Hannah continues to praise God for protecting his children and for judging the wicked. In verses 3 through 4, it says, Stop acting so proud and haughty. Don't speak with such arrogance. 
For the Lord is a God who knows what you've done. He will judge your actions. The bow of the mighty is now broken, but those who stumbled are now strong. Mamas, that's us. We're the stumblers, but God will make us strong. Her prayer then continues. Those who were well-fed are now starving, and those who were starving are now full. The childless woman now has seven children, and the women with many children waste away. The Lord gives us both death and life. He brings down to the grave, but rises others up. The Lord makes some poor and others rich. He brings down and lifts up others. He lifts the poor from the dust and the needy from the garbage dump. He sets them among princes and places them in seats of honor. Friends, the Lord sees it all. He will bless your obedience. He will lift you and he will lift me up. And then it goes on in verse 10. He will protect his faithful ones, but the wicked will disappear in darkness. No one will succeed by strength alone. Those who fight against the Lord will be shattered. He thunders against them from heaven. The Lord judges throughout the earth. Friends, the Lord will judge the evil in this world. He will have ultimate victory. Hannah's example humbly reminds us to praise God for the way he works, to praise him for his perfect timing, for the plans we can't see. There are no accidents in God's timing and purposes. Hannah is confident in the future, even though she has no idea what it holds for her. Her trust is in the Lord. She knows God is faithful, mercy, just, and gracious. She's experienced his character in the past, so she has confidence in his character now and in the future. God never changes. He's the same loving and holy God he's been in the past. He's the same then, now, and forevermore. This list of opposites also reminds us that God blesses those who trust and obey, and yes, God does judge those who reject Him or who choose evil. We can be sure of this. In God's timing, He will bless the faithful and He will judge the wicked. It's my prayer that you and I can pray these words of worship and praise, not just in the good and joyous times, but in the bad times, in the scary times, in the confusing times, and in the hard times. So as we move into the last section of 1 Samuel chapter 2, verses 11-26, we see that we can have hope while living in a lost world. And I think this last section is extremely important for us in our current times. This section begins with, And the boy served the Lord by assisting Eli the priest. And the section ends with, Meanwhile, the boy Samuel grew taller and grew in favor with the Lord and with his people. It also describes Samuel as he grew up in the presence of the Lord. Now, sandwiched in between these two hopeful verses about Hannah's son Samuel, we find the complete opposite in Eli's two sons, who also, quote-unquote, served the Lord. And I don't think this is an accident that God described the depravity of Israel, its leaders, and the surrounding cultures by beginning and ending the passage with a description of Samuel, a young man who was walking with the Lord and living counterculture. I think God wanted us to see his plan for goodness at the beginning, warn us of the evil people may choose in the middle, and then end with a reassurance that good can and will prevail. So let me set the stage for you here. 
Before the books of First and Second Samuel, we read the book of Judges. And if you've read any part of Judges, you know it was a time of extreme wickedness. The time of Israel during the book of Judges was very much like it is today. We could use the same words and phrases to describe our world and our nation today. In Judges 17 verses 6 and then 21 verses 25, it says that every man was doing what was right in his own eyes. Isaiah describes it as a time where good was called evil and evil was called good. In Judges 2 verse 11, it describes the children of Israel this way. They did evil in the sight of the Lord and served other gods. And this phrase is repeated at least 10 times in Judges and in First and Second Samuel. And then it's repeated even more in First and Second Kings. You know we live in a postmodern age, a time of moral relativism. People believe there's no such thing as absolute truth. They're taught that truth is in the eye of the beholder. You do you, I'll do me. What's right for you may not be right for me. With this logic, there's no such thing as sin. If there's no absolute truth, how can something be deemed wrong or evil? During this time in Israel, there was a disregard for God's word, and they had departed from the true worship of the one true God and creator. Friends, the same is true today. It's very hard to find Bible teaching churches. It's hard to find pastors who are not afraid to preach the gospel, who teach the whole Bible, not just the parts that make people feel good or suit their purposes. And worship today is mixed with all this new age ideas, and the absolute truth of Jesus being the one and only way is hardly mentioned at all. And today, occults are on the rise, and people worship more and more the creation rather than the creator. Now, during this time in 1 Samuel, Israel was spiraling downward and going from bad to worse. And in the surrounding areas, the Canaanites, they were even worse. Their influence was seeping into Israel's culture. In these surrounding empires, child sacrifice and sexual immorality were prolific because it was part of their worship of Balaam and Moloch. Today, we also find our world sacrificing our young and innocent. Did you know today there are over 40 million abortions per year? That's 125,000 abortions a day. And the sex and violence of today is little different both in kind and degree than it was during the time of Judges and Samuel. We're given hope through Hannah's experience as a mother that while living in a lost world, it is possible to raise a child who knows and loves the Lord. In Hannah and Samuel's story, we are reminded it is possible to remain godly in a very ungodly world. In 1 Samuel chapter 2, we see Eli's sons, who were priests, they were described as scoundrels who had no respect for the Lord. They treated the Lord's offerings with contempt, and they were seducing the young woman who assisted at the entrance of the tabernacle. When they were rebuked by their father, they didn't listen. They didn't change their ways. They were corrupt and causing others to fall into sin as well. Today, we find ourselves in the midst of a depraved society and a morally corrupt culture, and in a nation and a world that is slowly becoming more and more opposed to the things of God. Okay, I think this might sound a little radical to you, but I do believe the mass exodus to homeschool in the past decade 
and in this past year during COVID has been God's protection for this generation. I think we're raising a very important generation, mamas. I think we're actually raising the generation, the generation of believers who will face the worst kind of persecution, the generation of believers who will have to stand firm in their faith, even under the threat of death, the generation that will bring more people to Christ than in previous times in history, the generation that will have to fight for our freedoms as believers. I truly believe the homeschooling phenomenon, its popularity, and the mass exodus to home educate is actually God's way to protect this generation. He's calling them home so that we can bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, so we can build a solid foundation of truth built on God's word. Because the lies are abundant in the world, evil doctrine is abundant. Parents are losing their rights in the public and even private sector of education. The state thinks they know what's best for your child, especially if you are a Christian who believes that the Bible is the Word of God. In the past, you know, we were just considered overprotective moms. But now, we're deemed as extremists, people who are putting our children's lives in danger and at risk because we quote-unquote shelter them from the liberal ideologies that contradict God's Word. In the public sector and public schools, Bible-believing parents are public enemy number one. Now keep in mind, if you homeschool under a charter school, you're technically registered with a public school system, and with that comes all the laws, mandates, and curriculum of the public schools. Now granted, many of you have been very blessed with teacher facilitators or educational specialists who at this point have not pushed these standards on your children. But I fear in the near future, they will have no choice but to make your little guys follow their standards. And now, even some of the curriculum in public and charter schools, parents cannot opt out of it if their students are in middle or high school. I think God has been putting a burning desire on the hearts of mamas everywhere to bring their children home and to bring them home for this reason. Like Hannah, we are raising our children in a godless world, and our nation is quickly pushing God and our biblical roots out the window. Nowadays, abortion is not only accepted, but it's expected and considered a right. It's worshipped as a right, and all who disagree are haters of women. New York law states that a doctor can perform an ab abortion on a patient who's 24 weeks along all the way up to birth. And in 2019, California passed the most explicit comprehensive sexual health education law across the nation and to date. It's called the California Healthy Youth Act. So get very familiar with this law, as well as the curriculum that implements it. The curriculum is called Positive Prevention. Now, in their own words, according to the California Department of Education, the bill aims to teach K-12 through students how to ward off HIV and other STDs, to teach healthy attitudes about sexual orientation, gender, and relationships, and to promote understanding of sexuality as a normal part of human development. Notice this is for K-12. through Did you catch that? Now, I have no problem promoting understanding of sexuality as a normal part of human develop development. 
God created us as sexual beings, but I do believe that 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 right belongs to the parent, not the school district. Do you know how they promote healthy attitudes towards orientation, gender, and relationships? Well, in kindergarten and first grade, they read picture books at story time like Worm Loves Worm, Tango Makes Three, and Julian is a Mermaid. And they don't need your permission to read them either. If you're not familiar with these picture books, get acquainted with them. If you're in a charter school, make sure you sit in on every conference your child has with your ES or TF. I've had friends whose ES brought up topics with their children they didn't agree with and even read books to them that if the moms knew they were going to read them, they would have emphatically said no. Now, in their own words, again, according to the California Department of Education, it says, beginning in seventh grade, children must be taught all FDA-approved methods of preventing pregnancy and transmission of HIV and other sexually transmitted infections. Their teaching methods and lesson plans are explicit. Check out the approved curriculum to be used in California. The FDA-approved methods preventing pregnancy and transmission of STDs include descriptions, pictures, and directions for alternative sexual positions and alternative forms of penetration with the opposite and with the same gender. I don't want to get too explicit, but I think you can figure out what I'm referring to. Look it up and do your own research. It can all be found. And this, according to the California Department of Education, is for 7th graders and up. Again, in their own words, according to the CDE, AB 329 allows for parents to opt their children out of sexual education. However, the bill prohibits parents from opting their children out of materials that discuss gender, gender identity, gender expression, and sexual orientation. So even if you want to discuss these things with your child, you have no choice about when a teacher gets to talk about it with your son or daughter. You have no choice if you or the teacher will be the first person to approach the subject with your child or how it will be discussed. Now, many of us have family members and friends who live alternative lifestyles, who are transgender, or who identify as a gender that doesn't match their biological makeup. We get it. These are things that we as parents in this day and age, we want and need to talk about with our kids, but only when we feel it's necessary, only when we feel our child is ready for it, and only when we're using God's word as a central part of the conversation. But take heart, mamas. Samuel witnessed perverse sexual behavior before, while growing up because of Eli's sons, scandalized and defamed the worship of God. An abundance of sexual immorality was all around him too, but God protected him. We're told, and the boy served the Lord by assisting Eli the priest. And it ends with, meanwhile, the boy Samuel grew taller and grew in favor with the Lord and with the people. And we know from first, second, first and Second Kings that Samuel continued to be a chosen prophet who walked with the Lord his entire life. Perhaps your call to homeschool and to bring your children home is God's way of protecting your family from the insanity of a godless educational system. Perhaps God wants to protect your children from the indoctrination that's happening in the world and in our educational system today. 
You know, God designed the family to be the best learning environment as a place to learn about him, his world, his word, and his son, Jesus Christ. He created you and me to be our child's first and most important teacher. Perhaps the mass exodus back home is God's way of giving us the opportunity again. Perhaps God is calling you to make sure your children have a firm foundation in his word and that they're taught that there is absolute truth and that we can only find truth in Jesus Christ. Our children need to be taught that there is right and that there is wrong, that there is goodness and there is evil, and that there is a righteous path and that there are wicked paths that only lead to death spiritually and physically. Through Hannah's story, we can have hope that even surrounded by ungodly behavior in a godless world, our children can still grow in stature, they can serve the Lord and find favor in His sight. Hannah's story reminds us we can have hope while living in a lost world, and that our children can remain godly in a very ungodly world. So let me end with this. Hannah had prayed desperately for her son and had vowed that if the Lord gave her a son, he would be dedicated to his service. In 1 Samuel 1, verse 28, she said, I give him to the Lord, for his whole life will be given over to the Lord. Hannah's sacrifice was remarkable and was an example of complete trust in God. Notice what Hannah said after she dedicated her son to God. My heart rejoices in the Lord. She didn't express bitterness or anger, just total release of her only child, knowing that God's will for him and his life were best. Releasing our children to the Lord and his will for their lives demands great faith. Our calling to homeschool demands great faith. As our children grow up and as we educate them at home, we need to prayerfully entrust them to God's care. Like Hannah, we can trust God to be in charge and to do what's best. We can entrust our children and everything about their lives and everything about their education to God's gracious heart, knowing that the Lord loves them even more deeply than we do. We can believe that God will keep those who we love in His care. We can have peace when we recognize that God is the one who's ultimately in control. Hannah had joy in her prayer because she knew God was in charge of her child. She had given Samuel completely to the Lord. She trusted that her son's whole life was in God's hands. We too can have faith like that when we wholeheartedly give our children to the Lord. Like Hannah, we can have hope in the midst of taunts and tribulations. We can have hope in God's promises and His faithfulness to fulfill them. We can have hope in God's word and in his never changing character. And we can have hope while living and raising our children in a lost world. We can have hope that even while our families are surrounded by ungodly behavior and in a godless world, our children, like Samuel, can still grow in stature, serve the Lord, and find favor in his sight. We can have hope that God has given us this calling to homeschool for a reason. And no matter how much we stumble or fail or question our abilities, it's ultimately God who's in control. Like Hannah, we can hope and trust completely in the Lord. Thank you for hanging out with us and for joining me for this little coffee break. I hope you enjoyed listening to our first Sunday morning session of our special weekend for homeschooling moms. 
Check back in the next few weeks. I will be sharing two other sessions from our conference this past weekend. Next week, we'll share session two, the Sabbath principle and how to apply it to your homeschooling. And the following week, we'll post our last session of the weekend, the simplification principle, how to use it in your homeschooling. So come back the next two weeks and join us again, especially if you didn't get a chance to join us at our mom's conference last weekend. If this is your first time joining us, you can find us at our website, coffeewithcarry.org. We also have daily devotions and homeschooling tips at our Instagram account, Coffee with Carrie Consultant. Don't forget to check out my new book, Just Breathe and Take a Sip of Coffee, Homeschool and Step with God. Now, if you heard something you liked, then share our podcast with a friend who might need a little encouragement this week or with someone who wasn't able to attend our conference this past weekend. And if you haven't already, we would love for you to, today to subscribe to Coffee with Carrie podcast and then take a few minutes to leave a little review. Thank you in advance for listening to us each week and for sharing our podcast, book, and homeschool mom ministry with your friends. We're so very honored and grateful. It's our prayer that our website, our homeschooling consulting services, our podcast, and our new book will help you homeschool one step at a time, one day at a time, and one cup of coffee at a time. We're praying for you. Stay healthy. God bless, and see you next time.